was beautiful, you guys. Thank you. I know, right? Please turn in your Bibles. Oh, Julia's here. So glad you're standing there. Julia's here. Uh, and so uh, if there are any children in the service, they can come with Julia and get some Bible bags. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew. We're going to be in the first chapter. Matthew chapter 1, a classic Christian text. While Luke focuses in on Mary, Matthew shows us Joseph. And we're going to study some words today from Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to begin at verse 18. Matthew 1, starting at 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he, he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and she gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray. God, would you please speak clearly to us as we um, study your word. May your Holy Spirit, God, just give us a rich time together. In Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago, I heard a funny segment on a podcast from a popular NPR program called This American Life. John Hodgman, who is a comic and a writer, was talking about a question that sometimes we discuss in group settings or may ponder on our own. If you could have one superhero power, what would it be? Now, I've been asked this question uh, while being introduced before speaking, no pressure, in small groups or just, you know, at parties with friends. You actually learn a lot about who someone is when they tell you what supernatural abilities they wish they could have. So would you fly? Would you be invisible? Super strong? Would you like x-ray vision or the ability to read people's minds? Be able to swim as long as you wanted to underwater like Aquaman? In this program, they actually interviewed people, and it was hilarious to hear the people process the question as uh, they tried to ascertain and then explain or justify what their answer would be and their reasoning behind it. And these people really thought about it. People said, wow, if I could fly, I'd go to Paris. If I were invisible, I would listen to other people's conversations, and they wouldn't even know I was there. Maybe I would help myself to some cashmere sweaters when I really needed it. Then Hodgman made a very astute point. He said, in essence, you know that the purpose of superhero powers is to do good, right? 
A superhero is someone who is given a big ability so they can fight crime or dispense with evil. They aren't given the power just for the sake of being able to spy on people or fly away stealing stuff. You know that, right? Well, that brought me up short. Because honestly, in all the times I've been asked the question or pondered what I would do, be invisible, obviously, it never occurred to me to consider doing something real or positive with it. And I'm a pastor. <laughs> it was just fun for me to want to consider the question and for me to have some cool power that no one else had. I'm thinking I'm not alone in this. Maybe that makes me a villain in the superhero world. <laughs> the truth is that superheroes, ones who save the day and are beloved by millions for their bravery and good done against great odds, are in short supply. And I was thinking as I read the text this week that the superpower question actually misses the point in the realm of Christ because it keeps the focus on us when in actuality life is about the one who made us. Because we don't have to be superheroes to do good or to help change the world. We don't have to wish for special powers when we can join with the one who has real power, ultimate power, but only uses it for good. To bless and to love and to heal and to reconcile and to redeem. And God often uses people who are not wanting to be superheroes, who are not wanting to be great for themselves in this world, but rather uses those who are humble and often unsuspecting. Some of us actually may dream of saving the day in some big dramatic way. But when the time comes when we are actually needed by God, do we choke? Or do we rise to the occasion? When God asks us to do something important for him, do we even recognize the moment as a time to do good in real life situations? Or do we dismiss it as not being something that we want for ourselves? As we read, our lesson today is about Joseph, one of the players in the Christmas narrative who was not looking to do the things that God had planned for him to do. There are many servants in the Christmas story that we read about, and we wonder sometimes how they did what they did. But this morning, I don't want to focus on Joseph as the superhero. I want to focus on the God who made redemption a reality in the hapless form of a baby. We'll discuss Joseph, but he's not actually the point. God is. So from the scripture, I just want us to reflect on three things that we can learn about the Lord here. The first is, he often chooses righteous, humble people to carry out his work. The second thing is, he gives us just enough information to join him in his work, but not more. And the third point is, he will fulfill the promises he made in order to accomplish his work. So let's talk about the first point. God often chooses righteous, humble people to carry out his work. There were three parts to a Christian marriage, in a Jewish marriage in the first century. First came the engagement, which might take place when the couple were children being arranged for them. Second came the betrothal, a one-year period in which the couple were already considered marriage, married, although they did not have a sexual relationship. And third was the actual marriage. 
At the point that we pick up this story, Mary and Joseph are in the second stage. Their relationship was legally binding and could be terminated only by divorce. Mary was probably about four months pregnant when Joseph finds out, presumably because she had been at her cousin Elizabeth's for three of those months. Scripture doesn't tell us how Joseph learned the news, which was obviously quite distressing to him. In Deuteronomy, the penalty for a woman found to be pregnant by someone who was not her husband was stoning for both people who committed the sin. But by the first century, things had relaxed a little bit, and the betrothed wronged man had the right to legally divorce her or publicly accuse her of a crime, marking her for the rest of her life. We, we sense Joseph's quandary here, and we can extrapolate the rest. The deep feelings of betrayal and anger he must have had for Mary were at war with his care for her and his mercy at her predicament. Joseph is a righteous man. We know that because Matthew tells us that. He wanted to do the correct, good thing. He wants to honor God and the commitment he made to this woman whom he assumes has cheated on him. Walter Wangren says that although Joseph had legal rights, claiming, claiming one's rights in this world do not define us as being righteous. A righteous person is not self-centered, but men in this position chose all kinds of shame and still do and abuse the women in their life when this happens, but not this man. He decides to divorce her quietly. He only needs two witnesses to do that. In this way, he spares her some dignity. He's not making his choice out of pain or out of anger, but honestly, because that is the way that he can honor God and his relationship with God first. Because he is righteous, it would been, have been like him condoning her assumed sinful behavior by simply ignoring it and marrying her anyway. It's clear that Joseph wrestles with this and comes out with what he believes is a good solution. Then the angel comes gives Joseph the rest of the story, and he doesn't even hesitate then to do what God asks. Both he and Mary, when things become clear, do what God wants. Joseph would have understood righteousness from the Hebrew scriptures, to act in conformity to the law that God set forth, but also to live in such a way that showed mercy and righteousness to people. To believe in a God you cannot see, but know from the law and traditions handed down. To say that Joseph was righteous meant that he believed in the Lord, and he did his best to live his life in a way that showed that belief in his life every day. In the church age, when we have the opportunity for salvation through Jesus and the honor of God's spirit living in us, righteousness is still defined as living in a way that is consistent with what you profess to be true about God. That hasn't changed. Jesus came as a baby to reconcile a sinful humanity to God by taking on our sin. He is our righteousness. When we put our trust in him by allowing his forgiveness to cover us, we agree, much like Joseph, to live in a covenantal relationship 
to be obedient to God no matter the cost and no matter what we think we might want to do or no matter what we think we have a right to do. God chooses righteous people to carry out his work. Not perfect people, but ordinary ones who will seek God in intent to live for him. Joseph was such a person. Are we? Would the Lord look on us today as holy people, loving him with our heart and mind and soul and strength? Would he look at us and see that we are trying, even when it's hard, to love our neighbor as ourself and to ask him to help us and to forgive us when we fall short? That's a good question for us to ponder this morning. The second thing I want to highlight about God here is that he gives just enough information to help us join in his work, but no more. One of the things I was honestly curious about as I was studying this week was how God could have avoided Joseph's pain and wrestling about what to do had the angel come just a little bit earlier. Mary was already pregnant and the plans were in place for a few months, and Joseph was completely in the dark. He had no idea. God allowed Joseph to think that Mary had been unfaithful. Why? Well, that's part of the mystery of God, but our humanity cries out for more. Was it because he didn't want Joseph to think that he was asking permission? Was it because God wanted to honor Mary as an equal in the process to Joseph? Was it because he wanted Joseph to grow in his trust? Or because he wanted to give Joseph a few months of thinking everything was okay? We'll know when we finally meet him. But for now, it's instructive for us to remember that God only shows us the part of the picture he needs to see and no more. Notice that Joseph is not told about the long trip to Bethlehem, where it's going to be a race against time to find a place for the birth, only to end up in dirt and straw with smelly animals as their main support system. He's not told about the death threat part or going to Egypt with just Mary and the baby for two years. He is not told he's going to have to raise a strong-willed child who will start teaching in the temple at 13. He's not told that his son is going to die on the cross and that he himself will not be there to see it. No. The angel tells Joseph what he needs to make it through this particular season for this time. God wants us to join him in his work. Yet I have found that what happened to Joseph is true in my life as well. Haven't you? It's the manna principle that we get exactly from him what we need, what is necessary to sustain us, sometimes just for this day, and to keep us moving and to keep us going. But sometimes he doesn't give us much more. And for people who like to see the bigger picture or who get fearful because they're controlling, it's a lifelong lesson of trusting and depending on the Lord. He is good. 
He will not fail us. His plan is sure, and our anxiety about it only causes us harm. The angel told Joseph not to be afraid. But it wasn't because there was an angel standing in front of him, which might have been terrifying for some of us. The angel told Joseph not to be afraid because of what would come next. He said, or she said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The child within her is from the Holy Spirit. So it's not as bad as Joseph thought. Mary didn't cheat on him, but it's worse in other ways. Because Joseph knew that taking Mary as his wife would be difficult. And this was part of his dilemma, I'm sure. They lived in a tiny town. They were going to be talked about and possibly shunned by those around them. Jokes would be made at their expense. Don't be afraid, Joseph, the angel says. You couldn't see the whole picture, but now you know a little bit more. God knows what he's doing and he's going to help you live out what he is asking you to do. It's going to be painful in the earthly realm. It's going to be a huge undertaking, but it's so important for the eternal, Joseph. You're going to be the earthly father of the one being sent to save the people from their sins. Salvation is coming into the world, and the baby needs you, Joseph, to give him a name, a home, a family, an earthly identity so he can grow and do what is necessary for the next stage of the plan. All of us here today have situations in our lives where we wish God would show us the bigger picture. What are you confused about today? Where in your life are you hurting because things are not clear and you don't know which way to go? Joseph's life shows us that God will reveal his will to us. We just have to wait. We might have to struggle in pain. But at some point, he will tell us what we need to do so that we can move forward so his work might continue in earnest. It may be after we've made a decision, and then he changes it, like here. It's interesting that even when God has helped us in the past and we know he's faithful, having our best at heart, we doubt and we become weary of waiting. My prayer for all of us is that we would receive fresh manna today and that we would be grateful and that it would be enough for us. That we would receive it in such a way that we wouldn't worry about tomorrow or the next day because God is at work. He'll show you when he and you are ready. And may he use all of us in a way that will impact generations to come. Point three. God will fulfill his promises in order to accomplish his work. Our last point this morning from this passage is that God always keeps his promises. There are many promises fulfilled in the Christmas story, but we're just going to focus on the ones we see here. In this passage, the angel quotes scripture by revealing that Mary is giving birth to a son that they will call Emmanuel. John Stott tells us that Matthew prepares us earlier in the chapter by giving us the genealogy of Jesus to tell us with certainty who the baby is. We see two Old Testament passages alluded to here in order to show that God has come at last, not as a representative, but to share in our situation. Matthew is communicating to us, we don't need to try and find God because he has come to where we live. 
The name Jesus literally means God saves. God has come to rescue his people. In Psalm 130, we see that God will redeem Israel from all of their sins. He's told them in different ways he's going to provide a Messiah, that there would be a new king to sit on the throne of David. The name Emmanuel comes from Isaiah 7, and it means God with us. So here we see who Messiah is and what he will be do doing. Never again will we be bereft of his presence. Never again will we wonder who he is or where he is or how we can reach him because he's come to live among his people in real ways. Jesus is the child of promise, all that they wish for. When God says he will rescue us, he will. When he says that he has come to live among us and in our hearts, he will. In this time of Advent, we often long for him to come again because we're waiting for the fullness of time to be completed. But let us who wait be encouraged by this passage, reminding us that God never forgets or leaves his work in limbo. He will do what he has promised, so let's trust him afresh. It was the scariest, um, most difficult, confusing, exciting, most wonderful day of my life. I mean, <laughs> I mean, when you when you realize that God is allowing you to be a father, I, I don't I don't know what to compare that to, you know. And then, on top of that, when you when it, when it seems that he's deemed you fit to be the stepfather to his son, that's, that's overwhelming. Um, he's, a, he's perfectly healthy, happy baby boy that um, came into the world, I guess, just like most every other kid, you know. Um, I, I get why they call it labor. <laughs> I, I mean, since I was 12, I worked every day of my life, but I, I've never worked as hard as Mary worked that night. She was, she was amazing. And then not just that night, I mean, through all of it, through, through the months of people talking about us behind our back and um, the week-long journey to Bethlehem. And then... And then we get there, and she, she, she takes an ordinary feeding trough and uh, and turns it into a cradle, and none of it seemed to phase her. She's amazing. You know what? Through through all of it, I never heard her once ask why, why. You know, she just. She just did everything God asked her to do. And if she didn't understand why things happened, she knew God was in control. She just, she, she, she followed his will. I, I get, I get it. Man, I get why God chose her. I really do. What I don't, understand it's why he chose me
Why did he choose Joseph indeed? Why does he choose any of us to help him carry out his plans when he doesn't really need us? And things would probably go a lot smoother if he just did it himself. Perhaps one of the reasons is found in this passage that we reflected upon today. Because God's plan is not about us, yet it's all about us at the same time. He used common people to unfurl his plan of salvation. And Joseph's life give the rest of us who are unremarkable the knowledge that God will use us too if we're willing when the time comes. Jesus became one of us so that he might save us. Jesus became one of us so that he might model his love. Jesus became one of us so that he could demonstrate how we should walk in humility before God. Jesus became one of us so he would keep his promise to his people. He is the true superhero who asks us to join him in his work. And this season, let us consider more deeply who God is in light of the Christmas story and what it means that he has come for us.